yes, uh, thank you very much for inviting me to your IBS Buddhism uh, Music Symposium. And uh, I hope I'm not going to have to uh, try to tie what I'm saying with all the other few lectures because I, I don't really know what that connection is right now. Uh, the title of my uh, talk is Buddhist Youth Bands, Agents of Change. And uh, so um, I'll definitely be covering an area that hasn't been covered yet. <laughs> Uh, I'm currently, yeah, as, uh, as David said, I'm currently director of two youth bands at uh, West Covina Buddhist Temple. Uh, one is the Lotus Band, which is a group of young adults in their early 20s. And uh, they'll be playing this Sunday uh, in your Eitaiko service. Uh, and the Bowie Tree Band, not that Bowie Tree Band. The <laughs> <laughs> Bowie Tree Band, they, they came up with this name themselves, uh, probably because they're 13-year-olds, they're so you know, that's one of the uh, really well-known symbols. Um, uh, they're 13 year old musicians and so in my talk I wanted to discuss how these bands have uh, kind of set in motion uh, some changes at our temple uh, that, are, that could be significant and also in another way uh, their presence, their very presence I think suggests uh, the possible further involvement of Jodhishinship temples in America. I think this is one um, very, uh, you know, hot topic, if you will, in, in Jewish Shinshu temples in America, as Jewish Shinshu enters its uh, second century. Um, uh, issues that, you know, that actually, uh, that you've talked about, Scott, you know, the, uh, the traditions melding American Japanese and, and even West African traditions, which are, is actually uh, the primary component of what we call American music, is actually the West African influence of American popular music. But anyway, let me discuss the Lotus Band first. Uh, Lotus has been together since 2000. Uh, their formation was actually the solution to a well-known problem. The problem was the lack of change in our out-of-date gospels. Um, now, these are the gospels in the Higashi service book, but they're the same gospels in your book, so, uh, you know, I was trying to say that, that criticism, but uh, unfortunately, they're the same gospels. Um, and the problem that, you know, was, you know, as other people have said, is, is the lack of change in those gospels. Uh, um, uh, I won't mention any by name because there's probably somebody in here that, that likes a, a goth and I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, hurt somebody's feelings. But our song clearly did not like the goth as we were singing. Um, they, I used to hear comments, you know, that, you know, I'm sure you've all heard that these gothas are too Japanese -y or too Christian sounding, et cetera, et cetera. About the same time, though, I began to notice um, a series of strikingly uh, Buddhist-themed movies in the 90s, uh, theme, uh, films like 1993's Groundhog Day, um, 1993's Little Buddha, 1997's Seven Years in Tibet, 1997's Kundun, and 1999's American Beauty. Um, these popular films not only indicated a growing interest in Buddhism by Americans, but they also expressed to me the same kinds of teachings uh, that we find in our Gothos and in our, in our Minister of Dharma talks, but in a contemporary way. Now, you know, I wasn't, when I, I saw these films and I, I thought about it and being an active member of my temple, I didn't immediately start thinking about a youth band. Um, actually, that was the last thing on my mind, even though, you know, I, uh, you know, am a musician and, and came up through the youth band ranks, as it were. <laughs> I wasn't looking to that, but, you know, around the late 90s, uh, I began to notice at our temple that we had, in fact, some very talented teen musicians. Um, like around 2000, I saw that we had a guitar player, uh, another 
young guy that played guitar and flute, um, a saxophonist, we had two singers, we had a, a taiko drummer, uh, and a keyboardist. You know, and I thought, you know, hey, that's pretty much a band right there. <laughs> uh, and the people started turning. Of course, you know, as a temple, if they were to be a temple-sponsored band, they'd have to, you know, they actually play some gothas. Uh, you know, at least, you know, they'd have to fulfill some kind of uh, on, uh, ongoing service function. Uh, but our minister, uh, Reverend Kawata, was uh, very open-minded about it, and he encouraged me to experiment. He, he basically said, you know, you don't have to think in those, you know, those classic terms of a gotha. And I, I think, you know, he also obviously likes a lot of American popular music, so he was very open-minded about that. Something that I think some of the speakers have encouraged, and I kind of hardly agree with that. With Sensei's support, I asked these teens, you know, if they would be interested in forming a temple band to try and liven up our gothas. And to say that they were all extremely enthusiastic is, is an understatement. They were, uh, they were really, you know, as you know, youth are very enthusiastic, enthusiastic and very energetic. Um, the, other, the other reason might have been that they didn't like the gothas very much either, so. <laughs> um, with all due respect, they, they didn't like the gothas. Uh, our saxophonist, uh, Amy Sakaue, came up with the name Lotus Band. And of course, the name Lotus is an important symbol in Buddhism, as, as I'm sure you know. You know, the lotus flowers amidst uh, muddy and impure uh, pond water. Um, and I, I thought maybe as, as, a, as a, a name for a group, group of musical youths, uh, it, it might uh, perhaps express the way we hope that our youth can flower despite, um, you know, the troubled times that we kind of live in today. Uh, so that's one way of interpreting it. Another way would be to say that, um, of course, the lotus is a symbol in Buddhism for the Buddhist awakening itself. And as a symbol for awakening, if the lotus symbolizes awakening, then the impure pond water would symbolize our ego, ego self. In that sense, I think it illustrates Shinran's teaching that we cannot, through self-purification, try to become good people. Uh, but it's really only through awakening to the darkness of the self that we can be liberated. So paradoxically, Without delusions, there can be no awakening. So I thought, wow, this is a team coming over this. <laughs> you know, I, I had to really think about it. And I'm not saying that, that Amy, you know, you know, had all these thoughts thinking about it, but you know, we're sitting there going, well, we need a name for the band, and you know, all, some, you know, Reverend Kawata was even sitting there. We're thinking, gee, you know, what could it be? What could it be? And we're just totally just stumped. And then, you know, a team can come up with, with an idea that's like, wow, you know, why, why did I come with that? It's, just, it's something about creativity that I think as, as, as you get older, I think, or as we get older, we tend to kind of limit our, our, our sense of possibility. I think that's, just, that's one of the things that I find interesting about working with young people. But anyway, back to the Lotus story. So coincidentally, in October of that year, our district was celebrating the 500th Memorial of Renya Shonen. Uh, had a big banquet just to Leon Lewis was invited to perform, and that was their first gig. Um, and then in the following four years since then, they, they've definitely um, changed our Sunday services. First of all, the addition of live music, a, a live band playing in the temple, expands the expression of Dharma of the Dharma into a, a, an emotional and, and maybe even metaphoric realm. In other words, there's a certain nonverbal aspect of music that I think it's important. I think all the speakers today have talked about that. Um, and so, you know, it, it works together with the Dharma talk or reading to kind of accentuate uh, the emotional dimension that music 
brings, or the, the emotional mention that the Dharma has, but what your music has is a particular gift of expressing. Uh, and because the Lotus Dance songs, which I'll play a little bit for you later, um, expresses the Dharma in contemporary uh, terms, I think their music reminds us that music is a, uh, Buddhism rather, I'm sorry, Buddhism is a teaching for today and even for our American culture. Um, so they played a lot of Sunday services. They played, played almost every week for a while there. Uh, they performed at various obons. They performed at both the Higashi uh, and Nishigatsumi obons. They performed at a Buddhist education center uh, Buddhism and music class at Reverend Radha's invitation. Uh, they played at the Southern District Dharma School Teachers Conference uh, at the, the Camp Morningstar Youth Summer Camp. Um, and in 2003, they toured Japan on uh, our, our Honzon sponsored tour. They played in Japan for 10 days and they, they uh, did a joint, uh, joint uh, performance with one of the uh, traditional uh, Shinshu choirs in the Kujohachima area of Japan, which I'll play a little sampling of that for you later. Uh, they also played at, the LA, at our LA Besamine's uh, 100th anniversary in 2004. But I think one of the important points about the Lotus Band is that due to their, they have a fairly large repertoire of Buddhistic, what I call Buddhistic pop songs. I'm not even sure if that's an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> Buddhistic pop songs. Uh, these are American pop songs that essentially have the same messages as our kathas. Um, Lotus has played, because of, because of these, these songs, Lotus has played gigs for non-Buddhist audiences, uh, including college crowds at Cal Poly Mona, several times in the community center that the uh, West Korean Buddhist Temple is a member of. Uh, and the community center is not a Buddhist organization. Uh, and in, fla in fact, uh, Lotus is playing there in two weeks for one of the center's uh, major fundraisers. And then Lotus will also perform for the uh, general public uh, in the Inland Empire at the San Bernardino County Museum's uh, multicultural celebration of, uh, of uh, music, multicultural celebration of music, rather, this fall. So this is a, uh, interestingly enough, a federal, fairly funded museum. <laughs> so I'm not even sure why we're there, but we've had, we've, <laughs> we've done some things with it. Actually, the, the directors of that museum are, you know, uh, very open-minded and, uh, Last year, uh, last October, we did a, uh, we participated in the multicultural celebration of dance and Georgia Abe from Sinchin was our type of drummer. We did some Bonodori uh, dances for the public. And then the previous year to that, we did a, a thing there with the museum, which is multicultural celebration of ancestors where Reverend Kawata um, personally autographed some, some of the Mantue lanterns. Um, and, and we gave a short, very like maybe, you know, five minute, Discussion of what the Montoya lantern itself uh, you know, reminds us of the, the contribution of our ancestors and this idea of, uh, of causes and conditions that we should be grateful for that we're here. So it was very meaningful. And uh, uh, so, you know, long story short, we're, we're invited back again this fall and the Lotus Band will be performing. Um, of course, though, so in 2004, you know, these were these uh, teens, so in 2004, they all basically went away to college. And many of our songs expressed, you know, uh, how much they missed the band. I mean, you can imagine you have a band performing, and, uh, and it's, it's uh, not a major part of the service. Maybe maybe two or three songs or thoughts, you know, in the uh, after the chanting, uh, before the dharma talk. And then when you don't have it, it's, it seems like you know, kind of dead, <laughs> despite how how good the dharma talk might be. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
one of them, and I mentioned, you know, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great if you guys could play at our 50th anniversary, our Temple of 50th anniversary this fall? Um, and I was surprised that they were all interested in getting together again, even though they're, they're really, you know, I haven't actually seen, I, one of them is actually my son, and I actually haven't seen him very much. <laughs> Except when he, you know, needs money, that's the only thing. But they were very, you know, interested in getting back together again. And then late last year, uh, at our uh, 2008 year-end service, they performed again for the first time in four years. And, and then they came to, uh, back together again after college is pretty amazing. I think, that, as you know, in, in Temple, usually when kids go away to college, you don't see them anymore. Then after that, you know, they're getting their career started and they're raising their families or whatever. You know, we don't see them after that. And it's not just their busy schedules. Uh, uh, Allison, who's a singer, uh, lives and works in San Diego. And Amy, the saxophone player, lives and works in Berkeley. Um, and most dams, you know, wouldn't survive those kinds of logistical problems. But I think this demonstrates that we don't necessarily have to lose the active participation of our college age youth. Um, but they need some kind of interesting and challenging thing that, that allows them to contribute to the Tempest goals. Um, and, you know, for uh, just as a slight digression, I mean, uh, I think that uh, things like the Green Movement or, or projects like that that, that, um, that are sort of more engaged uh, might interest youth. Um, to become more involved in, in the temple. Um, some organizations like the community center, that they, the Buddhist Temple Park, Buddhist Temple is a member of, has actually turned over the leadership of that community center to these young people that are basically in their 20s. And I think it's, uh, I think they feel that it's a time to, to pass the leadership on to, to the next generation. Um, the other thing is they're just frankly tired of it. You know, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, the, the whole thing of, of creativity and new ideas. It doesn't always, it's not always better. I'm not saying that it's always better, but I think that uh, the idea is to open it up, and I think that, uh, or at least to allow that dialogue to happen. But I'd like to focus a little bit on the Lotus Dance music. Um, you know, their, their uh, we call it their, their book, their book of songs now includes about 40, almost 40 songs. Mm -hmm. And they, they do a lot of gathas. Uh, none of those christian or uh, Japanese gothas, but you know some of the like Ninja Castro's gothas. We do like Ninja Castro's gothas a lot. Um, also, I don't know if you. I was talking to some of you about Gordon Atai. His gotha, Golden Chain. Uh, the uh, the Bodhi Tree Dam plays that, and we all really enjoy that song. It's a very nice, very nice gotha. Um, but they do those gothas. They also do uh, Japanese songs like Sukiyaki and Makatongo. They do a lot of pop tunes and some hot jazz funk instrumentals. Um, from the sort of 70s era of jazz, like Always There and, you know, uh, sort of jazz fusion things from uh, Rippington and so forth. But the bulk of their repertoire is uh, these Buddhistic pop tunes, such as Green Day's Time of Your Life, which uh, to me expresses the truth of impermanence, uh, uh, Disney's Colors of the Wind from the movie Pocahontas, uh, which teaches us that all life is one, and Stevie Dan's Bodhisattva, which expresses the desire to become a Buddha. Um, here's some short samples of those tunes. This is Green Day's Time of Your Life. Something unpredictable, but in the end is right. 
other uh, song I wanted to play for you here was uh, Steely Dan the Holy Stockwell. Bodhisattva, I'm going to sell my house in town. 
Didn't A, Dharmakara, give up his kingdom to become a Buddha? B, Shakyamuni, who lived with cows to seek his enlightenment? C, Shinran Shonen, leave his home at, at the age of nine on his path of seeking liberation? In a deeper way, also, um, you, might, you might say that, that, that the idea of renunciation is uh, also applies to Shinran's renouncing the traditional practices on Mount Hie at, at 29 and then finding his teacher Hong Shonen. Um, so, and perhaps even more interesting though to, to, me, to me than that first verse is that in the second verse, the singer says, instead of saying, can you show me the shine of your Japan, the sparkle of your China, he says, I'll be there, the shine in your Japan, the sparkle in your China. Yes, I'll be there. I, I could be reading too much into this song. This, I've been accused of that before. But isn't this, you know, like the resolution that Dharmakara makes in, in his 48 vows? Essentially that he will indeed fulfill his vows, that he will become the shine, he will become Nidhapura. You know, as, as, as one of my teachers, uh, Dr. Hanetta, said, you know, the most important thing, issue in becoming a Buddha, becoming a waking one, is not your talent, not your, you know, your, uh, your, 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 any other circumstance, it's your desire. You have to really want it. You have to really dig for it. You know, it, 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 to be in the largest sutra, you have to ladle out the water of the ocean one ladle at a time. Uh, and so that lyric in that skilly dance song, I think, shows uh, that the person who wrote this song understands the importance of the vow and the desire. And the other interesting thing about that that you might know is that Donald Fagan is a Jew. <laughs> but uh, apparently somewhere along the line, you know, like many Westerners, you know, he was exposed to Buddhist teachings and resonated with him enough to write the song that we saw for. Um, and you may all disagree with my analysis of this song, but that, that's okay. And you know, and please, because it's on film, I'm not saying this is as a replacement for larger sutra. <laughs> um, but it did remind me of the, the teaching of the larger sutra, and in a, in a very modern and, and you know even catchy kind of way. So in this sense, the uh, song demonstrates that the expression of the Dharma can, and maybe even should, take the form of whatever container or style is expedient at the time. The important thing is that the container contained the shine and the sparkle, the essence of the teaching, which in this song seems to me to be the expression of the innermost aspiration or tonga. Um, one other, other <coughs> sample I have for you is um, a gatha that the Buddha's hand did. Uh, so uh, this is a gatha that the Lotus stand um, took, and I'm, I'm sure you probably all know this gatha. This is a Shinran-sama, uh, and this is a recording from, uh, from the Japan tour that I mentioned earlier. So they, uh, they did a joint performance with this choir of the Shomyoji Temple in Gujo Hachiman. And uh, it was interesting because uh, Shomyoji Temple uh, is one of the more you know, musically inclined sagas in, in, uh, in Japan. Gujo Hachiman, I think, is north of Kyoto somewhere. You know, I'm totally, I don't really know where that is, but, you know, it's like about two hours on the bus from, from Kyoto, from Mahonzan. But um, they have a minister there who has a choir and, you know, trained a choir and so forth. And um, somehow, I guess through the Honsan, they found out about the Lotus Band in America. And then, you know, there was, there was some intermediate, intermediary uh, ministers who arranged this. And the Lotus Band got a chance to go to Japan 
Um, and one of the things that they did uh, on this tour was they did a joint performance with the Shomaji Choir. And so the interesting thing was that the Shomaji people you know, don't speak any English, and we don't speak any Japanese <laughs> through, you know, Sansei. Sorry about that. But, <laughs> uh, but we, you know, we are to communicate through music. And it's interesting. You don't need a lot of words to communicate through music, you know. Um, and, well, I'll, I'll play it for you then. I have a Be the opening act of the Lotus Band because the Lotus Band is also. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Bodhi Tree Band is going to perform Eric, Eric Clapton's Sunshine of My Love, you know, uh, complete with uh, the Blues Masters original solo, note for note, which I, I insisted that they learn. You know, uh, that thing of honoring the tradition. I mean, if you're going to do it, then just do it right. Uh, they don't really want it. to do it, no, no. <laughs> But uh, they're actually going to do it. I think they're going to do it. So, uh, another neat development is that, you know, one of the Lotus Band's guitarist, uh, Kyle Kagawa, has helped teach the boys. You know, he's actually taught them some guitar stuff. So in that way, you know, um, um, they're also helping their younger counterparts. So I think that's very meaningful. Uh, but I'd like to speak a little bit, I'd like to end actually with a little bit about how I came to be involved with these youth bands and stuff. You know, you all know that I was, uh, <coughs> the guitarist in, in Hiroshima for, for over 10 years, and I, I did three albums with them and uh, uh, took many gigs and many tours. But, you know, in the mid-'80s, um, I left the group because um, I really enjoyed, you know, being in a, in a successful band. Of course, there were a lot of, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of funny, fun things we did and very meaningful. And, and um, you know, I basically grew up with those guys. Um, but I knew something was missing in the music that I was performing, and maybe there's some kind of inspiration that was missing for me. And I thought that um, <clears throat> if I left the band, you know, that I would find it. And I think I also thought, you know, that as a professional musician, you know, that I would be able to do anything I wanted to do. But, you know, as things often go in the real world, uh, success didn't materialize overnight for me. And so, you know, I, I started to realize that, you know, maybe I wasn't all that I thought I was cracked up to be. <laughs> uh, you know, that, because of what actually, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the recording music world, I mean, you know, you're talking about uh, just some of the greatest musicians, you know, that, that um, have ever been. And so to compete with that, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And particularly uh, as a guitar player in the, in the 80s and 90s, there were some just, you know, incredible <coughs> But anyway, so I, I realized my playing, you know, needed some work. And so for several years, I think I was, uh, without a clear direction, I went through a, basically a period of soul searching. But, you know, in the early 90s, through a very, you know, weird kind of chance occurrence, I began teaching guitar privately. Um, you know, the, this is the story that you, you know, at LCBC I uh, remember West Coast Wisdom, so I, I began, I got involved with coaching a youth basketball team. Uh, you know, that the, the, the joke is that basketball is the new religion of science. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I was, I was, I was at that temple too, uh, a lot. And so, but one of the parents, you know, asked me if I teach her some guitar. And I actually resisted, but then, they were, this is a very persistent parents, so eventually I, I, I started doing it, so I found myself teaching. Uh, guitar, and you know, little did I know then that 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 thing of becoming a teacher would actually start a process in me of intense study and of rediscovering music all over again. Because you know, I, I think I thought I had this idea, this idea as a professional musician that you know I already knew everything about music, and uh, but when you when you're faced with actually teaching it, you know, you really have to. Or I had to really admit that uh, I didn't have my act complete complete together. There was some you know, gaps in my technique, and my theory, and certainly in my knowledge of songs. And the turning point then came when <clears throat> one of my, uh, or some of my advanced uh, students, you know, wanted to learn jazz. Uh, they really wanted to get into like bebop, and you know, some of the mainstream jazz stuff, which put more pressure on me because jazz is, teaching jazz is, is considerably more demanding, because it, it tends to be kind of a virtuosic kind of music, like, like classical music. Uh, it's much more demanding than teaching beginning guitar. But 
the funny thing was that, you know, as a young boy, um, I had grown up listening to jazz, um, because my dad was a jazz aficionado. He was a Nisei, and of course, you know, that generation listened to jazz a lot. Um, and actually, I had listened to jazz a lot on my own. In fact, you know, I had to realize that I actually really loved jazz. Why couldn't I teach it? You know, and the, re the reason was because I had not seriously studied it. I had not seriously studied it. But now facing the request of my students, I came to the, the conclusion that basically I had to throw out all my notions of what I knew and basically start all over again. Like a beginner, I had to throw all my concepts out. And so I began studying the great masters of, of jazz again. And then really an interesting thing happened. Um, you know, as I was listening to the great players that I had grown up with as a teen, but this time, diligently transcribing their souls, note for note, analyzing and internalizing them, um, I began to appreciate and, and, and actually hear and understand their music. Um, this is a very difficult process, so I remember, for example, that one period I spent two months just figuring out one solo of like about eight hours a day that says more about my, my slowness than about the... <laughs> but uh, the main thing, the difference was that I really wanted to get it this time, as opposed to before, where I was just listening to it and enjoying it. And the reason why I wanted to get it was because I was desperate, because of the demands of my students. So I was studying these old uh, classic jazz albums dating back to when I was in high school and college. And the uh, interesting uh, kind of significance of that is that these albums had always been there in my record rack. Uh, gathering dust, but you know, I realized that all along um, I had been basically asleep to the treasures of lay within. Um, they were always there, but I, I didn't appreciate them. Um, I tried to study them as a much younger guitarist, but I had not really been a serious student. So, from a Buddhist standpoint, before I could accept these jazz masters as my teachers, I had to fully accept my own shortcomings as a musician. Before they could teach me, I had to be made to bow to them. So I'm extremely grateful to my students because through them, I was able to discover my own uh, deep, long dormant love of jazz. And you know, I think that uh, through my students, I was able to discover the student in myself. Hmm. So after that turning point, I began studying the jazz masters even more and led to me uh, writing a book on jazz improvisation and in 2004 I enrolled in Cal State's uh, Cal State LA's Master Music Program. Uh, today I'm very fortunate to be a lecturer in music at Cal State LA. I teach a wide variety of uh, jazz and general music classes there. I play regularly in, in some local jazz combos and, uh, as a, and of course you know, I've discussed that I've uh, directed two youth bands at West Covina Blues Temple. But as I think about it, my involvement with these youth bands um, it's very natural. I mean, I just want to give back to the youth who help me find my own direction. And, you know, I think it's also pretty clear that I, I couldn't have, you know, um, logically planned this kind of life. You know, I, I think one way that I, I would put it is that I didn't actually choose to be a jazz musician. It's more like somehow jazz chose me. Um, and I think likewise, I didn't really choose to teach uh, young students. They chose me. <laughs> In conclusion, you know, as a lay Shin Buddhist, um, I, I think I'm very excited about the changes West Korean Buddhist Temple's uh, two youth bands have uh, brought to our services. Um, I think I mentioned before the, the contemporary expression of the Dharma. 
uh, and the addition of live music have, um, I think it's, it's, not, it's fair to say, have revitalized our services. It's not the only change in our services, but it's one of, of several changes that have, that have sort of been taking place uh, that have uh, brought more energy and more interest in our services. And in addition, I think uh, that that these uh, Buddhist youth bands play their music outside the temple walls um, signals that they are part of a larger movement towards a more engaged Jewish and Jerusalem. Um, and then finally, on a personal level, um, I think it's obvious why um, I'm such an advocate for working with young people because, um, in my case, they totally changed my direction. Thank you.